Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com slash support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right, right baby? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation is... Move! Get out of there! Move! Dad! Move, Dad! Move, Dad! Get out! Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I am your host, Jamie, and this is... Patrick. And here we are again. And we're taking a break from our series, which is Forbidden Planet, and we wanted to discuss and review sort of the only alien film that's out right now, which is a behind-the-scenes look at the life of Dan O'Bannon slash the origins of Alien, and the film is called Memory, and it's directed by... Alexandra Philippe. And yeah, I actually uh, saw the film today. Patrick had seen the film a couple days ago. And we are here to discuss it. And it's a very interesting film. It's sort of all over the place. Complex. Um, it sort of retreads some old ground that you'd see in other documentaries. But it was, it was uh, an engrossing watch, to be sure. What, what are your first impressions? So first impression is it is absolutely essential viewing for any person listening to this podcast. Because if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you are an obsessive alien fan. And as an obsessive alien fan, it's kind of your duty to, to watch this material. Because I was constantly thinking throughout this. I'm like, what is the audience for this movie? <laughs> Like it is like it is just it is uh it's long for one thing ish and it's just and it's just about inspirations behind this one film and it's kind of all over the place it's very meandering the structure of it is a little hard to discern so it's like kind of a picaresque look at a very specific subject that um hit some really high notes I, I don't want to discount it I think there's some things in it that I, I would love to sort of talk about a little bit with you and and give people a heads up that there are great things about it but there's also some stuff that's like not particularly great about it and i think that it's something that you do need to watch if you're listening to this podcast if you're not listening to this podcast it's probably okay to skip out on it yeah i would agree with that assessment uh, i do feel like it's all over the place i think some of the most engrossing parts of the film are just exploring some of the origins some of the parts of alien that you see in older films and comics of the 40s and the 50s and some of the the b-grade um films that you see where there's an alien loose on a ship and it's picking off people one by one and it's in it's in the vents um very interesting stuff i loved seeing that i loved exploring uh existing ideas that dan o'bannon used for his eventual script and for me when diane o'bannon was on screen when she was talking that was the film like if the film was just her talking about the life of her husband it would have been a much better film than it was totally where it, it sort of became all of these other things trying to almost i almost felt like they were trying to 
get to an hour and a half because it's only an hour and a half long. It's not that long. But to me, it felt like it was three hours because I was like, oh, my God. And full disclosure, um, we both fell asleep during it. We, we did. We watched it we separately, did. but we both fell asleep during it at different points. So, so part of the lead up to recording tonight has been filling each other in on various things that we might have <laughs> missed because it is not it is not a uh, it's not like the easiest watch in the world. I 100% agree with you. The strongest parts of this 100% are Dan O'Bannon and her uh, memories of her husband. Just like that episode that we had was one of the best things we've ever had in this show. When she talks about him, when she talks about his childhood, when she talks about the man who really created this mythos and where he came from in a very deep and very personal way, that is something that is, that is just incomparably important. And that's something that we don't have very much else of, right? Because, for example, with Charles Lazarica's incredible multi-hour work that he did in the quadrilogy there is not uh i mean dan o'bannon was alive for that for one thing so we have interviews with him but we don't have interviews with people who lived with him for decades and diane shared this amazing life with him and only now that he's unfortunately gone is really out in public sharing that and and so what she's giving us is incredible in terms of uh, a really objective look into the the idiosyncrasies of his character both like the really genius brilliant parts of his character and the parts that were difficult and kind of struggled a lot and um and showing the 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 real totality of the mind that sprung alien upon the world um that i thought was so was so powerful and i agree with you tracing its lineage through popular fiction and popular filmmaking <clears throat> in the 20th century was also great i feel like a lot of the film scholars brought up some really cool stuff one of my favorite moments in it was the um when they made some of the comics into motion comics so there was this one called seeds of jupiter that i thought was just i yes, for some reason yes. that had maybe that's something that i had known about in the past but i'd forgotten about but that was uh totally eye-opening to me because that's clearly something that o'bannon was if not if he hadn't necessarily read it was like exposed to at some point and some of the the tropes that went on to be so iconic in alien uh were established with with that you know so whether or not he actually came across it um um, it, it, that there were there were these ideas of body horror and of gestation going on in popular um, fiction at the time and making the rounds and like it wasn't just out of nowhere that he came up with this and that's why the movie's called Memory: The Making of Alien, right? And it 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 the origins the origins of Alien, of alien. and it is uh, when it actually focuses on that on the origins of Alien, it is the strongest and the origin of Alien is of course Dan O'Bannon. Yes, which, to be honest with you, when I before I started watching the film, I thought the film was going to more cover more of his life. I didn't realize it was going to be... I mean, it's called The Origins of Alien, but just because Diane O'Bannon has been sort of out front and center during the promotion for this, I really felt like it was going to be more of an exploration into his life. Uh, and it was to some degree, but then it sort of started going off into these other directions. Initially, though, even when they were discussing body horror and all of these things, they would go back to Diane O'Bannon, and she would talk about those things in relation to her husband and what interested him, the kinds of things that he was interested in as a child, science fiction. And so there was this cross connection of all of these different points of his life and the script and the original script and then 
um, the script that he wrote before Alien. What was? It's not They Bite. What was it? What was the name of that script? Because They Bite. I thought that that script that he wrote called They Bite was the script he wrote right before Alien. But it, maybe it was Star Beast. I can't really remember. Was uh, it Star Beast. Star Beast was the working title for Alien at first. Uh, but okay. he also. So but, it wasn't but, Star Beast. But there was Memory too, right? Which was the first like thirty pages of the Alien script. Yeah, but there was another, and maybe they just used a different title. But they there was another title in the film that they used that I can't mm. remember. At any rate, I loved seeing sort of the progression and hearing the progression of Dan O'Bannon on the story that he wants to st- that he wants to tell. So you see sort of some of the elements of Alien in. Um, oh, it was a script that Chassay was talking about. He's like, oh, the last thirty pages or the first thirty pages of this script was the last thirty minutes of Alien, and I can't remember what the name of that script was, okay. but it was a script he never finished. So this is this was something that was I it- found interesting was the the Shusit versus Shusay thing, which I, I never thought was like a debate before watching this documentary. But Ian, the guy who wrote yeah. uh, the uh, Alien anthology book, kept dropping Shusays out. Yeah, like, oh, man. Alien Vault. Yeah, yeah, yeah Alien Vault. Um, but yeah, so all all of those things, that narrative with O'Bannon and including him and going back to him and his relationship to every part of the story that was engrossing. Then they started to drift off into. Like eventually they got to Ripley and what a great character she was and how characters like that aren't written anymore. Obviously, I think it's true. Um, but I, at a, a, some point, I was like, "What's this about?" Yeah, me too. And then, <laughs> and then they went eventually, and they went and talked about the chest bursting scene for a lo- like the, the largest portion <laughs> of the film minutes. was about the the chest bursting scene, and they had Veronica Cartwright on there, and they had um, Tom Skerritt on there, which is great to see them essentially giving the same interviews that they've always given and i've you know well lit uh veronica cartwright had the same exact quotes from 10 other interviews that she's given and i was like what's new here there's nothing new here this isn't new ground we all know this i mean we're hardcore fans but this information is out there for everyone and it's out there in 10 different iterations in terms of the behind the scenes of that iconic scene and so at that point i was like I lost, the film lost me for a while and I was like, huh, I'm, I, I, you know, and then they sort of started going into like the idea of male rape and all of these things, which I think are a great subtext, but they started exploring it in a way where I felt like now this isn't what the film is about. You can, you can take this stuff from the narrative if you'd like, but these, these points of the story wasn't, weren't written intentionally to deal with men being raped or impregnated and body horror and all of those things. Yes. They're very, um, uh, what's the what's the author Lovecraftian for sure, but I felt like the subtext and getting that far into the subtext with some of the people, I just felt like it felt a little too woke in my opinion. Wow, really? Yes, yes. For someone uh, who considers himself woke, yeah, I just felt like they were searching for things that I don't know. It just seemed to it seemed to not do the film any 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 favors not that the film needs any anyone to do it any favors the film was a masterpiece on its own but i felt like the more i heard some people talk about certain things i just was like shut up just shut up okay we get it we get it there are fears we have fears about our bodies being taken over and you can see that in films throughout film history as i step away from the film i step out I'm laughing because Patrick is giving me a funny look. I realize that the bulk of the film is not about the origins of Alien. The bulk of the film is about the chest bursting scene and philosophy and a couple of the characters. And so it stops being about the origins of Alien and starts being about the making of Alien and the creature and all of these things. And I just... 
it felt like it became another film. It became a behind the scenes doc, a really, really well made behind the scenes doc. But we didn't need another behind the scenes doc because Charles de Zurica made the best documentary on the on Alien you could ever possibly see. Not to do this this film any. I, I'm not trying to discredit this film. A lot of work went into it. Uh, Diana Bannon had a lot to contribute. She's the heart and soul of the she film. She is the heart and Again, soul of the film. She should have been. It should have been mostly her, um, yeah. with memories and images and that kinds of those kinds of things. It wasn't, and uh, it meandered and it fell apart a little bit. And uh, I, I wanted to love it a little bit more, or I wanted to love it completely. I always want to love movies. I always do. I just didn't. And the end was really great because it went back to Diane and she started talking about her husband and where he might be. And like now that he's left us, he, you know, he died way too early. He would only he, his birthday just passed. He would have been 73 years old a few days ago yeah very i mean a young 73 i mean it he, he died way way too soon and I, I think the film also lacked some heavy hitter heavy voices like ridley scott because he was definitely involved in the process of the beginnings of that film i mean how do you make a, a film on the origins of alien and not interview the guy who did who directed the film right and i know i read i read interviews with the director saying it was hard to get ridley um for an interview because he was always busy and that kind of thing. I understand that. You wait. You wait. You wait to get him. He was the most important voice that you did not have in the film. And it was this glaring hole because it was filled by some of these people. I'm like, who are you? Not to say <laughs> like, that, like, why why were we on that fucking thing? Like, seriously, the, some, of yeah, these, some of these people, yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you, you, you seem to have yeah. so little working knowledge of what this movie is actually about. I, yeah. I, I want to go back for a second. The, I, there, the the idea of like male rape being a thematic device, like that that was intentional. That that was something that especially Dan O'Bannon was like was was trying to bring out. So like I don't mind them talking about it. What I do mind is the structure of this thing giving absolutely no breathing room for any of these different concepts and ideas to actually take off and mean anything. That's something that I find uh, really frustrating about this movie and, and why I probably won't ever watch it again. I feel like a lo- just as something became interesting, they moved on to something that had no relation to it other than the chestburster sequence, which of course takes up most of the central portion of the film and is also the part of the film that has been the most exhaustively talked about elsewhere because that's like one of the most iconic scenes ever shot. Every fucking documentary ever made about Alien talks about the same exact elements of it like you said veronica cartwright recites like line for line things that she's told us before there's nothing new about that material in this or elsewhere at this point so like by by putting that right in the middle of this movie and then by starting off going so deep into like greek greek mythology for some reason and then going for a, a huge portion of it into this behind the scenes making of stuff which not only regurgitates a lot of the things we've heard before but actually recycles footage from other things that we've heard before right like it's 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 almost embarrassing to me because a lot of the so like the heavy hitters in this right Giger O'Bannon and Ridley Scott are only present in Charles de Lazarica's footage which is just shown like it's on a monitor in the background so like the the interviews that would have been the most um, important to get are interviews that we've already had of course there is a huge issue with two of those guys and that they're gone so they couldn't be interviewed for this and I don't necessarily you know begrudge the filmmakers for recycling things even though no I 
do. I do actually begrudge Philippe for this because you know what? <laughs> if you're going to use footage from somebody who's dead and you want to get them into this movie, find footage that every default Alien fan hasn't already seen. Don't use the footage that everybody who has the fucking Blu-rays has already seen, right? Like, the footage that they use is Dan O'Bannon with that bow tie sitting in that room. It's a Giger with his black mock on. It's it's smock, not mock. Um, like, it's, this, it's these things we've already seen a million times. When you and I edit podcast episodes, okay, we specifically dig up interviews that are more, uh, less, you know, less, ra- that are rarer than a lot of the ones that are on behind-the-scenes featurettes. We try to find, um, you know, like, I try to find, for example, um audio clips that Giger did when he was on a Fangoria interview 22 years ago. Like, to me, that is what I would want to find, because that's something that just a semi-casual or semi-ardent alien fan might not have stumbled across yet, right? Because I probably didn't when I found it. But, like, using probably a combined 20 minutes of footage from Charles Lazarica's movies uh, was, like, super uh, awkward to me, I thought. And that's, like, a big bulk awkward of Awkward and... Why not bring Charles de Lazarica, someone who was doing research for his own documentary, and interview him? The man who's interviewed all of these people. Like, bring the authority in. But here's the here's the thing. As someone who's released a documentary myself, someone who took seven years, I think and believe in my heart, if you're going to make a documentary, you need to uncover some things that no one has known, that, that, no, that has never been brought to light before. There's nothing like that in this film. No. Even the stuff that they talk about. Now, there are some anecdotes offered by Diane O'Bannon that would probably be new. Aside from that and the philosophical meanderings and the the woke discussions, there was nothing new in this documentary. Nothing at all. And I'm just curious what the impetus was. Was it? And oftentimes you're like, oh, this needs a documentary because I found this information out and I don't know if it's public. That's why you do a documentary. And, and when documentaries are being produced, you're in this production phase where you're doing interviews and you're trying to see during those interviews if new information's coming to light. The stories, you're waiting for the story to tell itself, and oftentimes it takes you in, in different directions. What I think happened here is he was doing the interviews, he was hoping to get all sorts of things, he didn't get anything, but he had to. He had the funding. He had a. He had a film. He had to put together, and he tried to put together a film where all of the information was already common knowledge. And I think that's what keeps this film from. And it's what keeps the film from from doing better. But you're doing a documentary on one of the greatest sci-fi horrors ever made. There's a shit ton of information about them. There's books after you know. There's book after book after book. There's at least three to seven documentaries on this. Um, many of those by Charles. Zarika and other people and networks and Fox themselves. So if you're going to do a documentary about Alien, you have to do your homework. And there was just nothing there. Again, aside from the very personal anecdotes from Diana Bannon, which would the film would have been way more special if it would have been about her and her husband and even his son, talking to his son about his father and sort of exploring th- that those types of things and finding out. I wanted to know more about Dan and I just felt like oh, we're going off to these other things now because that's all the footage we have and we got to make <laughs> right. the stretch for an hour and a half. And that, that's, that's and what's I, weird I is that to... it's, it's not like every individual part of this movie was bad because there's a lot of good stuff in it, but it's just before it has a chance to develop anywhere, they just move on from it. And and I think, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go back for a second. What were you no, saying? it's fine. It's well, fine. Like, to me, a great example of this is the Francis Bacon stuff. I, I have, uh, I don't want to say like a lack of patience for some of this uh, kind of analytical work. I, I, I get the value of it and I get the idea that a lot of... Uh, 
what makes great art is like suppressed, you know, id and things like that. And that, you know, a lot of the time you can do this uh, deep analysis of ideas that might not have been the intent of the filmmakers, but were kind of like, you know, bouncing around in the back of their heads. Like, I, I get that and I do have some patience for it. But to me, like, uh, th- those parts of the movie were super, super, super weak, except for the Francis Bacon stuff. So uh, he he's kind of one of these, like, invisible specters that's loomed over this for a long time because everybody knows clearly that a lot of the visual inspiration came from his, like, triptychs and from his work with the crucifixions and the Furies and things like that. I actually have a print of that triptych that they, that they keep showing um, that, you know, I've had up for years because I, I think it's really evocative artwork. Um, and I have never seen that much interview footage with him before and I found that really interesting and then they fucking move away from it into this discussion about the Greek furies representing some sort of a need for creators to destroy their creation and bullshit I'm like what the fuck is this all like this this is you you were immediately like you had this great thing going where you were talking about Francis Bacon as a vector for exploring horror you know uh, and then how he had influenced the look of this movie and then before you actually explore it in any detail you're pulled into this like quasi you know theoretical conversation about concepts that unless you're really like primed to be thinking about you're not going to have any working vocabulary for so it's very alienating no pun intended um I would have loved to have talked more about Francis Bacon and to learn have learned more about his um, involvement aesthetically with this thing. Even though he obviously didn't make the film, he was a huge a huge uh, influence on it, right? Or even to talk more about the legacy of science fiction and in fiction and film. That like I think those parts of the movie are great. A lot of that we've seen before. Obviously, the Planet of the Vampire stuff, the Forbidden Planet stuff. But there were some things in there that I had not seen before and that I had not considered before, and I really enjoyed that. And I think, for example, Bill Mankiewicz or however you say his last name, the guy that hosts Turner Classic movies um mankiewicz i think every time he was on i was like game on i was like this this guy is clearly a professional who understands how to talk in a way that makes some kind of sense to people and has like that you can relate to working knowledge yeah right and and he will pull you along because he knows enough to not have to try to prove how intelligent he is he can kind of pull you into it a lot of the guests i feel like we're just trying to be provocative or edgy or trying to like prove something and i'm like get out of my fucking way i'm just trying to enjoy this movie stop 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 alienating me as a you know what it reminds me of a little bit uh in alien where ash is looking at the face hugger and ripley has all of these questions and she's asking dallas like well ash is like we need to bring this back we need to bring this back and ripley's like we can't blah 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 who knows what it's gonna do blah 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 blah. and then ash and dallas is like well ash is the chief science officer and blah 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 blah, and if he wants it to go it goes and ripley is like she follows him out she shuts the door in front of him and he's like oh boy and then she starts questioning him and he's like i'm just here to run the ship and you know and i don't trust anybody and i almost feel like this film for a lot of people who love alien they're just like i just love the movie what are you talking about not to say that the audience is this these you know this audience of dummies not at all i think the audience surrounding the alien films are highly intelligent i just feel like it went off into this place where they were trying to dig up stuff to talk about and to dig deeper and to dig deeper and 
that's what we do at a podcast. I will never begrudge digging deeper. Um, that's that's what I love. I mean, I think the character of Ripley and the original trilogy is, is full of layers and depths, and we keep we keep going into that. I just felt like this this film hosted some people that were talking about things that I didn't care about, and it was almost like, and I don't I don't want to strike this chord of fuck the rich or or the elite, but I almost felt like you can get a group of people who are elitists or they're on a different pay grade than everyone else and they're and they're and they're kind of waxing poetic or waxing philosophical and the masses are like what are you talking about we just have to pay our bills you know what i mean like there's just this big disconnect and that's the problem with the film there's a lot except for when diane was talking and a few other points for sure because there was some there were some new revelations there i agree with you not that big not huge not big enough for a documentary this size at all but the rest of it just felt like hmm interesting what are we eating for dinner tonight you know i'm sorry i, I blathered like- on a little no, 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 no. I mean, I, f- I feel like I'm doing the same thing because because as we're talking, I'm thinking less of this film, which is kind of a kind of yeah, me too. I feel like yeah, which is which is okay. It's okay. Uh, I I feel like I I have a, a a huge appetite for that kind of highbrow analysis, and I think on this podcast, oh me too. I, I know you do, and and I think on this podcast we do a good job of getting into it without um being annoying about. It. I I would hope so. You know, at least. I feel like in some cases in this thing, it's like, it's very kind of grating the way people talk about this stuff. And because it moves on so quickly, there's like no chance to actually unpack what they're really saying. So for example, there's this, this dramatization of the Furies that that happens in the beginning and comes back like once, which I don't know what the fuck that was all about, where, where it's just like... Yeah, that was very strange. I was like, what is this? And then I, for a moment, I was like, is this the right movie? Am I in the yeah, right theater? No. <laughs> well, that's, the, that's what it starts with, right? Like it's yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's so weird, and and it's uh, I mean it's kind of cool, but it doesn't. It's like they're just trying to do this Greek myth, but make it look like the first film. Um, but it doesn't go anywhere. It's just like a bunch of threatening women. And I'm like, what what is the what is the what is the idea, right? If they had talked about the Greek theories in a way that was cogent and wasn't just some guy spouting off a million fucking Greek deities that nobody else will know about, unless that this is like one of their main passions in life if they had talked about it in a way that was like slow and interesting and drew really clear parallels and also in a way that made it clear that they weren't making the supposition that dan o'bannon was thinking about the greek furies as he was scripting this film because he wasn't but that that was somewhere in his subconscious because we have a collective subconscious as a society that we end up accidentally drawing from a lot and the reason these themes resonate with us are because they bring us back to this wellspring of fears that have been there for a very long time if that had been an angle like that's an angle that I would have loved to have seen, right? Talk about how there are fears that are elemental that go through fiction through millennia and they pull us back down into something inexorable and terrifying, right? That is an angle to talk about the Greek Furies through, I think. Not whatever fucking angle they were trying to make out of it that it had something to do about creators having to destroy to create. Like I, I, I don't even I don't even understand what the hell that had to do with anything. It's moments like that where I'm like, can you just like maybe cut some of this fucking movie out and just allow us to like spend time with some of the ideas? Or for example, that um, that podcast host who uh, I actually found really interesting, who was talking a lot about Ash 
as a vector for toxic masculinity. To me, I actually, I wasn't bothered by that. I thought that was an interesting angle, but because it was just one person kind of shouting about it for 20 seconds and then nothing else, I was like, well, okay, then that was that. Was that. that would have been a cool thing to explore in a more uh, like rigorous way because it would have given us the ability to talk about the movie in a way that we haven't really talked about it in the past. We've talked about it, obviously, vis-a-vis uh, male sexual fears and things like that, but we haven't really talked about it as like a cultural uh, way to uh, talk about masculinity and to talk about gender norms and to talk about 70s class structures and things like that. And we had little hints of that in this movie that would have been really fun to discuss in a way that wasn't just one person shouting at us for three minutes and then moving on from it, right? Um, a great example of this is one of the guests uh, discusses one particular scene that is kind of a non-scene. It's scene 123 in the film. It's just basically a static shot of a table where most of the primary crew members are sitting around it and they're dis- having a discussion. And based on the framing of the shot, it's clear that there's this class distinction between the sort of blue-collar people on the left side of the frame, the white-collar people on the right side of the frame, and then the women in the back and how there are interesting dynamics of class and gender being played out by the way that the scene that the scene was shot which to me totally actually intentional i think that's very clear and i think that having filmmakers discuss things like that with us is a great opportunity to really learn from masters about something really interesting and i never heard anybody talk about the film in that way before but then we, there's no follow up on it we go back to the fucking chestburster again for some reason after that and i'm like well okay i guess that was just one interesting thing the thing with documentaries to me is that like, if you want to structure it in that way, if you want to structure it in a, in a way that feels like you're kind of exploring the structure as it emerges, right? That is a totally valid way to make a documentary. You and I are both, I mean, you're a producer of documentaries, but I, I and I would like to be, but I'm not. But you and I are both avid consumers of documentaries. I would say I watch more documentary films than any other genre of probably anything. That's like my almost, you know, really daily. Yeah, I mean, I watch a documentary. I, I watch probably three or four documentaries a week. Um, it is a huge thing in my life. And because of that, I, I've made observations about which documentaries work better than, than others, right? To me, like, there's this way that you can do it where you can have a structure emerge as you're watching a documentary in an experiential way so that, like, as you're exploring it, you start seeing the larger story that this was actually about coming into focus, right? Like, a great example of that recently was, uh, it's a documentary on, on Netflix called For the Birds, and it's about a woman who uh, is a, a hoarder, and she has a hoarding issue, and she's having her birds taken away. So you go into it thinking, that's what the documentary is about and then as you're watching the documentary the actual themes that it's really about are coming into focus and then two-thirds of the way into the movie you actually get what this is actually about and it becomes a really powerful movie because of that i kept waiting for that with memory Yes. I kept yes. thinking. There was no clear, you don't know what it's about. You don't no. know what memory is about. But I kept waiting for that. I, I kept being like, all of these weird tangential things are going to start kind of crystallizing into some kind of a thesis. There's going to be a reason we're jumping around so much. But actually, it ends jumping around even more than it did. I mean, it just jumps all over the place. And then it's just over. And you're left wondering, what the hell did I just watch? <laughs> right? Yeah. And I, I think... As you were talking, I was trying to figure out, well, what is the the disconnect here? And I think when the film works really well and when it's brilliant is because I can relate to it. And I think that's part of the reason why our show, Perfect Organism, does as well as it does is because people can relate to us. When the film isn't working, it's because it turns into a lecture at a a university. And I don't don't watch documentaries so I can see lectures by, uh, by professors. Not to say that all these people were professors, but that's what it felt like. I felt like people were like going all scientific 
philosophic and all philosophical. I love philosophy, but I we pivot around philosophy from a very personal place, whereas in this film they didn't. It was very sort of objective, mythology, and it was a very... Um, Uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Clinical. It was clinical. And that's what my disconnect was. When the film worked, it was because we were hearing the voices of of Diane O'Bannon about her husband and and, and the narrative of early ideas of alien found throughout film history and uh, science fiction literature or in comics. That's when it was really brilliant. And when it wasn't, which which is unfortunately most of the time, it's because it felt like this clinical discussion about this film that people don't have a clinical relationship with um, and the narrative didn't reveal itself it was just sort of like oh let's talk about all the blood gushing out from the chestburster Veronica Cartwright what do you think right 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 <laughs> let's hear you talk um, for 10 minutes about the scene that you've already talked for hours about right in, in yeah. the past the other issue here I think is that there are things in Alien that are really obvious right especially given the fact that it's become so culturally prominent and given the fact that anybody who's going to sit down and watch a hour and a half long documentary on alien is probably somebody who will already know a lot of these things those are not things that we should be spending time talking about in my opinion we should be looking for new ways of getting into this movie new ways of engaging with it new lenses to look at it through and and i would i would have i would have liked to have seen more of that um that being said like i do agree that it's well well ish made i think this there was like essentially no score to was there a score to it? I, I feel like I didn't even notice that there was any music going on. I don't know, notice it either. You know? Um, but uh, to your point, before you uh, you continue, yeah, w- it would have been interesting if they would have approached this film like, why hasn't there been another creature film like Alien? Why hasn't then there been another creature that has been as terrifying as the creature in Alien? And how did that happen? Where did this come from? Where did the idea of this creature come from? They didn't even go that route. They went, and the beginning route that they went was interesting because they're talking talking about Dan O'Bannon, but they could have had a narrative set up like where they're showing, I don't know, um, Starship Troopers and all of these films, clips. Why isn't there another, why are the, why are these creature designs, why aren't they as impactful? Why don't they scare us? And why does this one scare us? Why don't these scare us? But why does this creature designed by H.R. Giger scare us? And where did this creature come from? And then you open it up with a interview with Diane O'Bannon. That's how you get to that story. That could have been the narrative, but they didn't go there. There could have been discussions about what scares us and the horror, and then talk about um, body, dis, not dysmorphia, what's the word? Like, body, body horror? Body, body horror and male rape and sexuality and all of those fears incorporated into this beast. We've never seen that in a film before or a, a behind-the-scenes film. We've seen elements of it here or there, but not in the banner of there has been no other other film in film history that has scared us with a creature that has scared us and continues to scare us like the alien why they didn't do it as a missed opportunity totally i wonder agree. who's going to talk about that though i bet you there's a show out there that'll talk about <laughs> that sometime soon. <laughs> stay tuned I don't want to shit on this movie. I I feel like there are people out there who will probably... I mean, we know people. You know, Clara loved it. I I think we we know people who this is the sort of thing that they really gravitate towards, and they will will love it. And and I'm I'm really happy that they will, because uh, this is a movie that they will have now forever. And we will, too. 
I will say one thing. I think it's important when you're making a documentary to establish some kind of a clear tonal framework for it, right? Because then you, then you, especially setting that early on, it gives the audience a chance to kind of grab onto some kind of a thread, to trust that you're going to be taken somewhere that, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense, will make sense to you someday in the future. Well, you'll be lying in bed one night and you'll think, oh my God, I really learned something deep, right? The best documentaries are the ones that illuminate things about the human condition. That's like a big generalization, but it's true, right? Those that's what makes a documentary not just a behind-the-scenes featurette. In a way, that's why The Beast Within, Charles Lazarica's documentary, quote-unquote, which is hours and hours long, is more than just a behind-the-scenes feature. And, and it, I mean, it feels like an existential look into this myth, this incredibly mythically important movie. Um, I think that if, if a documentary can establish that early on, then, you know, you can basically show us anything and we will have an appetite for it. And this just doesn't do it because it squanders it by just going in so many different directions. I, I I would say one thing if, if I so actually let's let's do as before we close out I want to do two things okay I want each of us to kind of tell how we would make an alien documentary if we if we were to, to do it and give a grade to this this one so can I go first go first so a, a type of documentary that I really love is the is the sort of documentary like for example Senna from 2010 which uh, is an incredible documentary on my favorite driver of all time actually our son's middle name is Ayrton in this driver's honor um, it's directed by uh, Asif Kapadia and produced by Studio Canal. It's a great documentary where there is no, there are no talking heads at all. It is only archival footage and race footage with narration from people who are talking. So there are talking heads. There's no, so let me make it clear. There's no narrator. There's no person being like in 1988, blah, blah, blah. There's none of that happening. There's just people talking about this man who was dead, talking about him at length. And you never see them. All you see is him in action action in his life going about the day-to-day realities of, of what he was living through, which was in a, sometimes really banal and sometimes incredibly magnificent. But it was you were able to experience that while you hear voices in the back of your head talking about this person and reminiscing. And you're not distracted by them, right? You're not distracted by them trying to prove themselves to be some sort of an incredible film historian. You're not distracted by the baggage that they carry with them. You're not distracted by this you know, awareness that Terry Rawlings is in the film, but he doesn't get to say anything. Anything. You're not distracted by the fact that you're watching archival footage that you've seen a million times before of H.R. Giger. You're just listening to voices speaking about something that you're able to just watch. So if I were to make an alien documentary, I would use almost exclusively footage that nobody has ever seen before because we know it's out there. We know Charles Lippincott has that stuff. We know uh, that A.W. That J.W. Rensler has a ton of that stuff because we've seen this in the book. There is unused set footage and photography that is just out there in the world, and that's what we should be seeing. We should be seeing things that we're not used to and just having people in the background talking about the actual origins of this film, talking about the small moments that if we don't capture them, we'll be lost forever. Talking about those little day-to-day things, like when you showed up for dailies and you noticed that something was out of frame or something was in a soft focus that wasn't supposed to be in a soft focus and it gave it some kind of a gravity and it was a beautiful mistake that nobody's ever noticed before, but because you were the, you know, the second grip that day, you saw it when it happened and real life and you were there when history got made finding people talking about things like that talking about what it was like when Ridley Scott showed up late with too much coffee and was stressed out and and discussing what that was like you know 
To me, that's what a great alien documentary would be. And then I would end it by talking about the origins of things in terms of like mythology and in terms of archetypes in a way that allows us to kind of meditate on it a little bit before we leave. So we can talk about it from this very small lens where we go into it on the day-to-day filmmaking. It's very kind of, uh, you know, real and very kind of banal and very quiet. And then giving us a chance to go out with a dream, essentially, where we think of this thing as not just that day on set, but as an illumination of fears that have existed in our world for thousands and thousands of years. And uh, that's that's what my documentary would be. The grade that I would give this is a C minus. I hear you. How well, you? I did outline a little bit what I... I did outline a little bit what I would do, um, but if I could get a little bit... Uh, if I could... I always have difficulty finding words when we're talking. If I could zoom in on this a little bit, what I would do is I would, and they did this a little bit towards the end where you see Diane O'Bannon in her closet and she's got boxes down or whatever. I would do a documentary or I would start my documentary and host it with the camera on Ridley Scott as he's flipping through his books and all of the the the, the stuff that he has from that film. Because he has a lot of stuff that like his Riddlegrams and so much, just watching him flip through, watching, watching him be human. And then cutting back to Diane O'Bannon, going through memories, going through boxes full of pictures, really getting into the human aspect of of these films, because really at the end of the day, that's what this, these films are. It's the voyage of us as humans. It's a human endeavor, as opposed to this um, clinical look at Alien. I think really that's what killed the film. And I don't really feel like we're shitting on the film because the, the honest truth is if you and I loved it, we would be here, you know, shouting its praises. We didn't. There are plenty of things that we both love where we talk about it ad nauseum. Oh, we loved it so much. We loved it so much. Unfortunately, this film isn't one of them. And it's an it's an incredibly, it's a huge missed opportunity. And, uh, and sometimes that that's what happens when you're making a documentary. Sometimes the narrative doesn't show itself. There are, I, you know, and as a reference, I shot footage for my documentary for six years. The seventh year was post-production, essentially-ish. The first four years of footage that I took, I used all but a minute and a half of it. Four years of interviews, I didn't use any of. There was just no story there. And then when the story in a couple of interviews, which included my own and someone else, it popped up and some friends of mine saw that. They're like, holy shit, what are, they, what are you guys talking about? about and then people were like that's your movie right there jamie that's the film that you have to make so what did i have to do i had to buy new equipment and i had to go get 15 other interviews or more and i traveled all around the country and it's easy to criticize as a purveyor or as a a member of the audience saying i could have done this better because we hear that all the time on social media i could have done this better but i think what's shocking about this film is that it wasn't better and you expected it to be and you expected it to be more personal expected it to be more relatable and it just wasn't um and that's unfortunate uh but i still think that there's probably a really great documentary about alien i mean you could interview charles or you could interview charlie lippincott and find out what he has to say um about his time with his all of his uh, footage and photos like he wasn't in the film either which was shocking to me Um, like talk about new stuff I mean I know he's working on a book at any rate I don't want to go on and on and on and berate the process I I just hate being colossally let down and I was I was pretty let down well what's your grade what's your grade I'd say it's the same C minus 
C plus. C minus. You know what great documentary on Alien that people should should see if they haven't seen it is Dark Star. That's that's one that I think is just yes. that should be essential viewing for anybody who has a passing interest. It's not only about aliens; it's about Giger in general. But that's see, that is the kind of documentary documentary that I wanted because most of it it's just him at home in his studio being old and trying to find where he left shit and walking around his garden and being bombarded by memories and then seeing him in his prime in this archival footage where he's just going all over the world doing these projects and then seeing him again at home near the end of his life dealing with the reality of his health like that to me that's a really great human lens into a genius in this movie the giger stuff is primarily just from charles lazarica's film but the stuff that's not from charles lazarica's film is just people basically just talking about how Giger was brilliant, and there's no human there, right? In Dark Star, his brilliance is clearly on display, but but it's in the context of a human that we are watching uh, really explore the world that he lives in, and it's like that. That to me is how they should have done this film. That's okay, you know. There will be other opportunities. And the surprise about that too was Giger's widow was so involved in the behind the scenes of memory. I really thought, whoa, okay, this is what I'm in for. Like this is going to be a really a deep dive into Dan O'Bannon and Giger. It wasn't at all. I mean, aside from a little bit of Diana Bannon here and a little bit there, it wasn't really about any of that. And I was shocked at that, especially knowing how involved they were to help get the film made. Um, yeah. But I suppose it is what it is. I do think it is worth a viewing for sure. It's I, I don't feel like I'm shitting on it. I don't feel like it's a bad film. I don't operate in the terms good or bad. It's just a letdown. It could have been way better than it was. And uh, there are much better there are much better documentaries out there about Alien, unfortunately. Agreed. And and maybe we'll get so, to make one someday. Who knows? <laughs> maybe. maybe. We'll but right. stay tuned, people, because we are going to have host an episode where we're going to talk about the King of Beasts, which is the Xenomorph. And that might be next. We'll see. We'll, we're going to talk about it and see. But that's something that really excites me. We've never discussed it before in terms of how important that creature is and why it's important. So stay tuned. Stay tuned, guys. Thank you. For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.